Good morning, New Life. Good to have you here this morning at New Life Community Church. Can I have you stand for a moment? By the way, let me say that as we prepare to take up an offering next week, New Life Centers was started 15 years ago in this building with one staff person as we dreamed about how to reach out to at-risk youth in the city of Chicago. We started, it was a step of faith. Now there's actually 70 people working full-time on staff. Yeah, come on, come on. In Little Village primarily, but also in Brighton Park and also in Humboldt Park. But started with the seed of an idea to say, what can we do to help youth, especially that get so easily involved in gangs and violence and street stuff. And so uh, this is birthed out of a vision of faith and we get an opportunity to support it. So if that's on your heart, then please be prepared to give. Father, we thank you that you are good. We pray that you would take the message today empowered by your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would speak to our hearts clearly, specifically, gently but powerfully, Father. And we entrust this time to you in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Hey, as you're getting seated, I just have one other announcement that I'd like to make, to, uh, make for you. This Monday and this Thursday, there is a movie that'll be shown here in theaters across Chicagoland and really across the nation in 700 theaters across the nation called Ends of the Earth. Ends of the Earth. This is about missionary pilots going to the ends of the earth to take the gospel. It's a documentary. It's really powerful. It'll be in theaters like uh, Ford City, uh, Oak Brook, uh, AMC's, uh, uh, York, uh, Yorktown, and several around here. And by the way, by the way, I'm involved in that movie, so actually I show up in that movie. Uh, But it's really about missionaries taking the gospel with planes, and you'll see an image of building an airstrip in a village in Papua, Indonesia, and an airplane landing there specifically to take the gospel. And so I encourage you to check it out if you can. And uh, that's this Monday and Thursday at 7 o'clock. A lot of people have lost things in the last year and a half. How do we find what we need when we've lost what we had? As you look at the last year and a half, some of you realize, hey, I've lost something. Maybe you've lost a friend. Maybe you've lost a friendship. Maybe you've lost some joy that you had before. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you're disoriented with the purpose in life. Uh, because this last year and a half has been difficult for a lot of people, and, and, and we're trying to regain what we lost. We know it's there, but sometimes it's hard to find. How many of you know what I'm talking about here today? Okay, a lot of you. Let me tell you a quick story. So, uh, you know, 
as you get older, we keep forgetting things. I'm, I'm always like, where did I leave that now? My glasses, oh yeah, they're on my head. Um, how many of you can relate to that? And how many, you know, how many of you say, it's not about getting older, Pastor, I've been doing that all my life. How many of you can say that? Yeah, half of you here. Well, my wife and I are always joking, joking with one another to see who can top the story. And the other day, we were in a big hurry trying to leave the house, and we were running around, and, and I had to get to a meeting real fast, and my wife said, hey, where's, have you seen my phone? I said, no, I haven't seen your phone. I can barely find my phone. And then she said, can you dial it for me? How many of you do that? Call my phone for me. So I called it up and we both hearing it ring and say, oh, where is it? She says, I, I don't know. She's looking through her purse. I run upstairs because I hear it. And I, and I say, I hear it ringing, but I'm not sure. I run upstairs. I run down to the basement. I say, where is that phone? It's hidden somewhere. We're looking around. And then I go into the kitchen. I'm standing there and I'm ringing it. She said, ring it one more time. I ring it one more time and I hear it faintly. I'm by the refrigerator. I open up the refrigerator and there it is. She had got something out at the last minute, getting something out and left it there and accidentally put it there. So here's the thing. We know it's there. We know it's there. It's just hard to find. You know the strength is there. You know the joy is there, but it's hard to find. And so some of you had a season in life where you know it's there, you hear it ringing, you, you know it's close, but you have difficulty finding that which you lost and you had before. And so I want to talk to you about that today out of 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. There are some of you struggling right now to regain something that you lost in the last year and a half, or maybe you lost it before that time, and you know that God has offered it to you. You know that God has promised it to you. You know it's there. You hear the ring, but you don't know where to find it. The Apostle Paul is writing 2 Timothy, this letter, out of a prison in Rome. It's the second time he's been imprisoned. It's the last letter that he will write. He's writing it to a young leader. This young leader is timid, fearful, a little bit sickly, and living in a very anti-Christian environment. In fact, Christians are viewed as, uh, as, a, as a sect, as a group that is... Uh, against society, a group that should be persecuted. And so there's a growing opposition to Christians. And young Timothy is a leader that's trying to rise up and do what God has called him to do, but he's being gripped by fear and a society that doesn't understand Christians, that is looking at Christians and more and more suspiciously. And so the Apostle Paul from prison writes to Timothy to encourage him. And I believe that these words echo strongly today for you and I, in today's culture, that more and more is misunderstanding Christianity as well. So I'm going to begin reading in verse 15 of 2 Timothy chapter 1. It says, you know, the Apostle Paul is saying to Timothy, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. By the way, when he refers to Asia, it's referring more to the area of Turkey and uh, including the area of Rome. The seven churches of Revelation are found in Turkey. So he's referring to that, not what we know as Asia. Uh, including 
Fergulus and Hermogenes, may the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. He mentions two men in the Bible that have turned his, their backs on him and abandoned him. It's interesting that their names would be found in the Bible as deserters. Uh, two people that walked alongside Paul, two people that Paul trusted in, two people that, well, people knew about them, but when times got tough, when it got difficult, they actually turned their backs on Paul, walked away from him in the middle of a difficult time, and more than likely began to slander Paul who was in prison. Paul, obviously, as a leader that's invested in them, feels a sense of hurt. There's not a person in this auditorium that hasn't felt personal hurt at one time or another in their life. In fact, to be human and to be involved in other people's lives, to have relationship, implies with it that you will experience hurt. If you're married, well, you've experienced hurt. If you're a parent, hey, you've experienced hurt. If you're a friend, you've experienced hurt or disappointment. If you're involved in a community, people have hurt you and disappointed you at one time or another. You cannot be human. You cannot be alive. You cannot be a relational individual without experiencing hurt to one degree or another. Let me tell you something about hurt. Hurt is inevitable. To be alive, to be human, means that you will experience hurt. And so it's not a matter of if you will get hurt, it's when you will get hurt and what you will do about it. And here's the thing about hurt. Sometimes we expect hurt from the outside. Uh, we expect people that don't know us to hurt us, but you know, that kind of hurt is less hurtful. The hurt that is most painful is the hurt that's people that are close to us. It's that painful divorce of someone that you remember them standing in front of the pastor and saying, until death do us part. And now they're walking away. And there's that deep pain and sorrow of hurt. It's that son or daughter that you thought they would always be your little, little son, little daughter, that you would always have a close relationship and to hear them stomp their foot, walk out the door, don't talk to me again. That is painful. In the body of Christ, uh, you expect it on the outside, but you come to church and you say, hey, we're all lovers of Jesus here, Christians. This place should flow with forgiveness and grace and understanding. And yet, somehow, somewhere, someone disappoints you. Someone doesn't reach out to you when you thought they needed to be there. In the middle of a crisis, someone's not there and you expected, well, they will be there. And there's disappointment, there's hurt, inevitable hurt that enters into your life. The Apostle Paul was not unacquainted with hurt. And by the way, neither was Jesus. 
Uh, think about it. Jesus had 12 apostles that he handpicked, chose, lived with them, walked with them, stayed with them. They ate together. They hung out together. They were buddies and companions. And yet when the time came, one of them, well, he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. He betrayed them. That's hurt. The other one, Peter, who was one of his main disciples, when the time came, he basically swore and walked away and act like he didn't know him. That's hurt. The other disciples argued about who was going to be the greatest of the kingdom. That is painful. And that was Jesus' close people who he had invested in, worked in, been around, handpicked. So I just want you to know that as we jump into this passage, the first thing I want you to write down is this. Strong grace helps us through personal hurt and abandonment. Because if you notice, the Apostle Paul mentions two people that have abandoned him, uh, but he gives one sentence to them, but he gives a lot more time to to someone that walked beside him, someone that actually was his brother, someone that actually showed the example of someone that would not give up. On Asphorus, it tells us, look at what it says about him. Because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains, on the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord that day. You know very well how many ways he helped me, helped me in. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You see, what the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy is, Timothy, you're going to be hurt as well. And I... I want you to understand that part of ministry, that part of life, that part of loving, that part of relationships is that you will be hurt. But Timothy, I want you to know there'll be people that'll abandon you. There'll be people that'll turn against you, people that you expect to stand up and won't stand up. But I want you to know this. Hey, be strong in the grace that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes we know there's strength there to be found, but we're not sure where to find it. We hear the ring, but we're not sure where it's at. And if you're here today feeling like you're lacking strength and power, maybe you're feeling that hurt or abandoned or disillusioned. Maybe you're licking the wounds and barely hanging on. I want, you to t I want you to know that the Apostle Paul this morning, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is saying, where you find strength is in grace. It's in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, he, he talks about uh, this brother and he says, he's often refreshed me, which means that he, he encouraged him. He told him, hey, Paul, you're doing a good job. Hey, stick in there. Hey, don't give up. He says, he was not ashamed of me. 
Paul was in prison and it was easy to pull away and say, I don't know that prisoner. Don't, no, 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 I don't know who he is. But instead, he went to prison. He looked for him. He brought him things. He said, he sought me out very zealously. In other words, he was a friend that came even when others were abandoning me, even when others were slandering. He came up, he showed up. He was a friend indeed. He walked beside me. He encouraged me. He was there. Why? Because he had learned to find strength in grace. I just want to say that if you are feeling a little bit weak today, if you are looking for something that you lost, if maybe your joy isn't there, I, I want to point you once again to grace. You say, well, pastor, what is grace? Grace is unmerited, undeserved favor. Grace is something that God gives you that you don't deserve based on his character and not you. Grace is not something that you can buy, you can earn, or deserve. Grace is something that is embedded in the character of God. It's cousins to mercy, but it's different. Uh, mercy is when you deserve something and it's not given to you. you. You deserve punishment, but it's not given to you. That's mercy. Grace Grace is giving you something that you haven't earned, you haven't deserved, you haven't merited, but it comes out of the heart of God because he loves us. Oh man, I wish I could preach stronger on grace. Uh, Titus chapter 2 verse 11, 14 says, for the grace of God, the what of God? For the grace of God that brings salvation. What brings salvation? Grace. grace. What do you mean grace brings salvation? Well, it brings salvation and as is appeared unto men, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Let me tell you, grace is something that we hear about but we don't quite understand. Let me tell you what grace does. Grace helps you well, grace brings salvation to your doorstep. If you, are not, if you haven't understood grace, you're still striving to try to ple be pleasing to God. You're still working to say, God, hopefully if I work hard enough, if I'm good enough, you'll accept me. Grace says, no, there's nothing that you could ever do to earn or merit the love of God. He has already loved you. Grace says you don't deserve it. You can't earn it, but it's there because God loves you. It's poured out upon your life. Now you need to receive it. Some people say, well, I'm motivated by fear. I'm motivated by the fear of hell. Well, what if I end up, what, what if I, I want to be right with God, and so the fear of hell motivates me. And you know what? Fear is a strong motivation, but it's not the strongest motivation. The strongest motivation is love and grace. If fear says, I don't want to end up there, so I'm going to try to be good. Grace says, I don't even deserve this, and he's been granted to me. He's loved me so powerfully that when I was unlovable, yet he loved me. When, when, when I didn't deserve it, he still poured out his love on me. It's nothing that I've done to earn it or deserve it, so I receive it and accept it, and because of this grace, I'm propelled, I'm driven, I'm motivated to live a life that's different because God has loved me so much that I want to live up to that expectation of love. 
That's grace. Now here's what the Apostle Paul is telling us. He's saying, Timothy, be strong in grace because you're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt by people, disappointed by people. I don't know about you, but during this last year and a half, it feels like there's been more tension among people than I've ever seen before. Mention one post on social media that's somewhat controversial, and you'll get a lot of volatile comments. And sometimes within the same body of Christ. Hurts are inevitable. People are on edge. Strong opinions. Polarized opinions. Yet I believe that what, what the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy is, Timothy, I want you to find strength to deal with your relationships and to continue on, but you, the strength, you're going to find it in grace. You hear the ring, it's in the refrigerator of grace. Now that's where you're going to find it. You know, if you're in any kind of setting, I think the Apostle Paul is reminding Timothy, Timothy, you're going to get hurt. We all get hurt in one way or another. I remember when my son was, uh, my oldest son was dating Carolina, who's now his wife. He was a couple months into the uh, dating relationship and uh, we were at a gym working out together and he said, hey dad, if you already know it's the person, then do you really have to wait that long? I mean, I'm mean, three months into it. I'm pretty sure this is the one. I'm not gonna change my mind. And so why do I have to wait? I said, well, I, I would strongly urge you to date at least a year. But yeah, dad, but why? If you already know, why do you have to wait? I said, but you may not know as much as you think you know. No, dad, I know. I know, but have you, you know, maybe, maybe during the winter months, they're really nice, but every summer they go into massive depression. You don't know that. At least a year will show you that. No, dad, I'm not going to change my mind. I said, son, have you ever, ha have you even had a good fight yet? <laughs> and he said something, dad, we don't fight. It's like, okay. <laughs> I said to him, go have a good fight first and then tell me, then come back to me. The next day, he had their biggest fight. I said, I didn't tell you to go pick a fight. I mean, you just had a fight. So they just, the very following day, I talked to him. I said, so son, now that you've had your first fight, he said, dad, you know, I think I could be single the rest of my life. You know, I think. <laughs> and here's just what I want to know, that conflict is part of relationship, good and bad relationships. There's going to be conflict. But listen, when you've been touched by the grace of God, you find strength to be able to demonstrate grace because you have received grace. Secondly, if you're taking notes, write this down. Uh, he goes on to say, not only does strong grace help us through personal hurt and abandonment, but strong grace empowers us to stay focused on the mission. He goes right into this after he says, hey, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In verse three, he says, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. 
And now he compares the journey of Christianity to that of a soldier. And he, he has an image of a soldier, and he says, you know, a soldier is living on mission. They're disciplined, they're under command, they have a mission. And he says, Timothy, I want you to understand that a good soldier doesn't get entangled in civilian affairs because he needs to focus on the mission that he has. And um, uh, he's basically saying, hey, if someone's focused on a mission, he, there's things they have to do, but if they get too distracted by just regular life, they will lose, listen, if they get too distracted by regular life and living, they will lose the focus that they have a mission. Well, let me say that again. If you're in the army, you're with a platoon, and you're on a mission, and you're deployed somewhere, and uh, you're waiting around a little bit, and you say, you know, I really like this place. I should, this would be a place, great place to start a business. And a soldier goes out and says, you know, I'm going to start a cafe. I have some money. Let me invest in a cafe, open up a cafe, start a little business, get it going. And they're supposed to be on mission. They open a, up a cafe. They start a business. They're investing in it. They say, what a great place to be, man. I love this. And they get so entangled in that that they forget, hey, you have a mission. You're here with the mission. You're on purpose. It's okay that you uh, uh, have other interests, but remember, don't get distracted from your main mission. Can I tell you something? If you are a follower of Jesus, you have a, you have a call upon your life. I run into people at times that believe that there's a difference between uh, people that are called and non-called. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to follow Jesus. That means that you have a call upon your life, and your call is to live on mission for Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're a plumber, electrician, a police officer, a teacher, uh, a stay-at-home mom. You have a call upon your life. Not all of our call are the same, but you have a call upon your life. And it's okay to get involved in other things in life, but if you get so involved in other things of life that you forget that you have a mission that God has called you to, then you are like a soldier that's gotten so involved in civilian affairs that you forgot you have a bigger purpose in life. Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, I want you to endure hardship and if you forget that you're on mission, you'll avoid hardship. You see, the only reason that, you, that a soldier is willing to sleep out in the tent and willing to endure hardships of being away from their family and eating army food that doesn't taste too well, the only reason they endure that is they know they're on mission. And so they endure hardship. If they forget that they're on mission, they'll be unwilling to endure hardship. Let me talk to someone today. If you forget that you're on mission, then you will be unwilling to endure hardship because you forget that you're living on mission. There's a lot of Christians that forget they're living on mission. And any sacrifice or any discomfort, it feels like they avoid, they step away from it because they forget they're living on mission. When you're living on mission, you have a purpose, a plan. You say the mission is worth it. 
So I can endure sleeping in a tent, not on a bed. I can endure getting up and uh, doing my reconnaissance at four in the morning. I can endure army food for a while because I know that I'm on mission. If I forget that I'm on mission, then I don't want to sleep in a tent. I, 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 I want a mattress to sleep in. I want the best food around because I forget that I'm on mission. Come on, you want me to translate that to today? When you know that you're living on mission, it means that you'll endure some hardship in your life for the sake of the mission that God has called you to. What does that mean for you? It means that when you're living on mission, there may be some people that don't like you and you still live on mission. It means that when you're living on mission, you may endure some hardship, but you're still living on mission. You know, we've, if, if we believe that our Christianity is simply there, if we believe that our Christianity is simply there to help us live a better life, if you've bought into a Christianity that says, well, I'm gonna live my life, live my dreams, live my comfort, and add God to the picture so that life will be better, then life is all about you and what you want, not about him and what he wants in his mission. <laughs> so even things like coming to church become a problem. What time is the service? 9.30? If it was 9.45, it would just be a lot easier for me. And, um, you know, are the bears playing today? Well, I, got, I have to watch it. And how are the seats in that? And, and how's the air conditioning? Is it okay? Okay, you, you see, if it's all about you, if it's all about you, then any small sacrifice, any small hardship becomes a deterrent because it's really not about you living on mission. It's about you and your life and God helping you live your best life. Let me tell you, Christianity, here's the words of Jesus. Come, follow me. Deny yourself and follow me. Come, take up your cross and follow me, words of Jesus. This is not about us. This is about the glory of King Jesus. This is about living a life that glorifies him, that lives on mission for him. And so the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, endure hardship. Why? Because you have a bigger call on your life. You have a mission on your life. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. Why? Because he wants to please his commanding officer. So Timothy, please your commanding officer. Then he goes on and he says, listen, number three, strong grace, not only does it help us work through personal hurt and abandonment, Strong grace keeps us focused on our mission because we know we've received that grace. Strong grace inspires us to persevere until we reap the harvest. Look at what it says in verse five. Similar to a soldier that doesn't get distracted, now he compares us to two other things, an athlete and a farmer. He says, Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. Now, during the time that Paul was writing this, 
the uh, Greeks were already practicing some of the athletic events that now we call the Olympics. And the Greeks had a very intense and intentional training time. In fact, if you were to compete in one of these Greek athletic events, you would have to set yourself apart for 10 months prior to the event for some intense and severe training. In fact, if you were getting ready for this contest, uh, the preparation involved a self-denying diet, it involved anointings, it involved exercise, it involved uh, self-restraint, it involved chastity, it involved decorum. This was a 10-month preparation for these uh, very celebrated athletic events. And if you did not follow through with the preparation, you would be disqualified. Nowadays, even in our own Olympics, we have certain rules that you have to follow or you're disqualified. In fact, some of you may know this, but in our past Olympics, the Tokyo Olympics that just happened recently, in the track and field events, there were 20 athletes that were disqualified from different countries because they didn't follow the rules and they had to be tested and there's anti-doping tested requirements and 20 people were disqualified for using uh, performance enhancing drugs. So what the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, not only do you need to envision yourself as a soldier that doesn't get involved in, uh, in civilian affairs, but I want you to remember the perseverance and determination and diligence of an athlete because you also could get disqualified from winning the crown. You have a mission in mind. There's a crown at the end of this race for the believers the crown is when our life is ended and we stand before God. Uh, that is the end of our race. We've run our race. Paul talks about it. I've run the race with everything I had in me because one day I'll stand before God and I'll receive the crown of life. But you know, we can disqualify ourselves not only by getting involved in civilian affairs where we lose the mission, but we disqualify ourselves by not competing according to the rules. And we disqualify ourselves by starting to live for ourselves, by, by, by abandoning what God has called us to do, by indulging in sin, by living a, life, a lifestyle that, that uh, uh, breaks the rules of God because we haven't understood fully and powerfully the grace of God. And the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, don't disqualify yourself. Remember, listen, remember it's the grace of God that teaches you to say no to sin. Uh, Titus, I read this before, but let me repeat it again. Titus 2.12, it says it's the grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. What teaches us to live self-controlled? What teaches us to say no to sin? What teaches us to come to godliness? The fear of hell? No, the grace of God. Listen, listen, when I know that he's loved me, 
when I know that he's given me what I don't deserve, the Bible says, come boldly into the throne of God because we have a high priest and we know that when we come boldly to the throne of God through the high priest that's Jesus Christ, we can be assured that we will receive what? Grace. What is grace? Unmerited, undeserved favor for this season and this time. That's grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a righteous, good, religious. No, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but hey, now I'm found. I'm blind, but now I see. I'm talking about grace. If you don't know grace, you're living under condemnation and striving. If you haven't understood grace, then you walk in a place like this, always wondering, am I accepted by God or not accepted by God? Have I lived well? Have I not lived well? If you don't understand grace, you live in shame and guilt because you think that somehow you're meriting your own righteousness. You can live up to the standards of God. which you can. It's the grace of God that brings salvation to your life. It's the grace of God that leads you to repentance. It's not you. It's not your effort. It's not your good heart. It's the grace of God. You're simply responding to this incredible, powerful, wonderful favor of God that reaches out to you. And you are simply saying, God, it's your grace that transforms me grace of God. And then lastly, he closes. The last comparison he gives us is to that of a farmer. He said, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. The hardworking farmer. You see, grace doesn't necessarily excuse us from hard work. Some people have misunderstood grace. Grace drives us to hard work. Grace is about motivation. We're not doing it to earn something We're doing it because we have something already. It's like a marriage relationship. Some men, especially, they're really, really good at the dating part because they feel like I got a prize to win. I got a winner heart. People will use that. I got a winner heart. It's the flowers and the poetry and the dating and babe come and a meal and set it up and a lot of thought into sweetest day and Valentine's Day and and um, and 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 there's a sense of oh what a what a man yeah this he's winning he's winning the heart and then I've I've talked to some people and say I don't know what happened after we got married it's just like boom stopped now I'll talk to men and they'll say well I I got her already. So it kind of stops like, hey, I was winning her heart, but I got her. Okay, now move on to other things. So, no, 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 that's not how it works, though. You see, you see, in the dating, you're, you're trying to win her heart. But if, but if your marriage works like it really should work, now that you have her heart and you are in love with her 
and there's a powerful love there. You're loving her not because you're trying to win her heart. You're loving her because you have her heart. And because she loves you and you love her now, it flows out of gratitude and the joy of what you have rather than I'm trying to earn it. That's the way salvation is. You're not trying to earn salvation. Now that you have salvation, you live out of a great sense of gratitude because you're enjoying salvation, have salvation, and love salvation, and experience the grace of God. Not because you're trying to earn it, deserve it, or merit it, but because you have it, it flows out of gratitude. You show up to church not because you're trying to earn salvation. You worship with abandon, not because you're trying to earn the favor of God, but because you've experienced the love of God. You come... Hey, you come early to worship God, not because you have to endure to earn brownie points, but because you've experienced something so powerful that you can't wait to shout out and celebrate and sing out the tremendous love of God because he has washed you, cleansed you, and made you new. I'm talking about grace. And Paul talks to Timothy and he says, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive the crops. Reflect on what I'm telling you. Jesus looked into the harvest, out into the harvest, and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the what's few? But the workers are few. Paul is echoing to Timothy, Timothy, there's a great harvest there. It's grace that'll make you strong to pursue the harvest. It's not a like, oh, I got to witness to someone today, so God will be happy with me. <sighs> Who can I witness to? And you awkwardly approach someone and say, I want to give you the four spiritual laws. <laughs> What's your name? Don't worry about that. Four spiritual laws. But when you have a relationship of grace with the one that saved you and cleansed you and washed you and you're walking with them, then it's not about trying to one more person. It's about, hey, I'm walking with the one that saved me and washed me and cleansed me. Can I just talk to you about it? This is part of my life and it overflows because it's the goodness of God and his grace and his love that just oozes into your conversation. It just spills out over into who you are because it's grace filling your life. Not a duty to evangelize but it spills over out of what incredible thing you've experienced and now you also want to share this incredible thing with other people as well. That's grace. That's grace. And Paul says, reflect on what I'm saying for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Here's how I want to close. Maybe you've been finding it hard to find what you need when you've lost what you've had. Maybe this has been a difficult time and God is pointing you to the refrigerator of grace. You hear it ringing, but you need to open the door of grace and say, aha, that's where it's at. 
That's where my strength is at. That's where my joy is at. That's where I find it. I find it behind the door of grace. I'm going to ask that you stand with me right now. As the musicians make their way forward, as I was reading this passage, what what struck me the most about this passage was the fact that Paul is telling Timothy, in essence, Timothy, you're probably going to get hurt. There'll be people that will just disappoint you. Paul is speaking as a person who's been hurt by those that he's invested in. He's been abandoned. He's been hurt. And he's saying, Timothy, in your journey, it's going to happen as well. So be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Can I say this? There are some of you here today that you have been hurt in your spiritual journey, maybe hurt by other believers, maybe hurt by a leader, maybe here or somewhere else, maybe hurt by someone that you thought they should be there, but they weren't there. Maybe hurt by someone that in the midst of your grief, while you reached out to other people and blessed other people and prayed for others, they were not there when you've been there for them. Maybe someone that, dis- that disappointed you maybe disillusioned or maybe said something or didn't say something. And you know, it's really easy when we get hurt, especially by people in the body of Christ or people that we have great expectations for. It's easy, it's very easy to become cynical or disillusioned or isolated and saying, I'm not gonna reach out anymore. I'm not gonna pour into anybody else because I poured, I poured, I poured and look what I got back. In fact, it's very easy to abandon your calling, your mission, and just say, I'm just gonna do the minimal because you know I got involved before and look, I got, I got hurt. I, and I run into so many people like that that have walked away, abandoned their calling, not using their gifting, not really engaged in the mission because they were hurt. And I'm just saying this, I believe there's healing in the grace of God. And just the same way that we have hurt God and yet he's poured grace upon us, that grace may overflow to you and your relationships. God will never disappoint you, but his people will. You need grace poured out in your life. And so I'm going to give an altar call, especially in that area. If you have been hurt, if you have been disappointed, if somehow you're living with those wounds and it's caused you to be cynical and maybe pulled you away from your calling, it's taken you away from praying for people, investing in people, it's caused you to self-isolate or just be halfway into things, or maybe you were really involved and really into the things of God, but because of hurt, you just pulled away. Now you're a spectator. I'm calling you to... 
I'm calling you to be baptized afresh in the grace of God because the grace of God gives you strength. Open up that door. Experience the grace of God. Hear the words of Paul saying, be strong in the grace that is in our Lord Jesus Christ. You will be hurt. Maybe you've lost some of your joy. Maybe that person that started, maybe that person that got baptized with you is no longer beside you. As the musicians begin to sing this morning, I'm going to open up this altar. If there's hurt in your heart, if you, like Paul, have been hurt, and you say, no, I need grace to be able to love through it, I cannot let hurt or disappointment take me away from my mission, distract me, my gifting, has been shortchanged. My calling has been on pause. My spirit has grown cynical. And I'm saying, grace of God, give me strength to love through it. Just like you've shown me grace, I'm going to show grace as well. I know God is speaking to some people here. So this altar's open even right now. If you say, yeah, that's me. I've been hurt, but I'm praying for grace. Lord, grace. I'm not going to let the enemy steal my calling because of my hurt. I'm not going to let my joy be abandoned because of my hurt. I'm going to step into it. Come, grace of God. Strengthen me for this moment, God. I pray in Jesus' name. Let's sing. This altar is open. Anybody that needs prayer, thank you, Lord.